Section 11 of The World War. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The World's Story, Volume 15. The World War. Edited by Horatio W. Dresser. Section 27. En route with Kitchener's Mob. 1915. By James Norman Hall. One Sunday morning in May, we assembled on the barrack square at Aldershot for the last time. Every man was in full marching order. His rifle was the short Lee Einfeld Mark VI, his bayonet, the long single-edged blade in general use throughout the British Army. In addition to his arms, he carried one hundred and twenty rounds of three o three caliber munition an entrenching tool, water-bottle, haversack, containing both emergency and the day's rations, and his pack, strapped to his shoulders and waist in such a way that the weight of it was equally distributed. His pack contained the following articles, a great coat, a woolen shirt, two or three pairs of socks, a change of underclothing, a housewife, the soldiers' sewing kit, a towel, a cake of soap, and a hold-all, in which were a knife, fork, spoon, razor, shaving-brush, toothbrush, and comb. All of these were useful, and sometimes essential articles, particularly the toothbrush, which Tommy regarded as the best instrument for cleaning the mechanism of a rifle ever invented. Strapped on top of the pack was the blanket roll wrapped in a waterproof ground sheet, and hanging beneath it, the canteen in its khaki-colored cover. Each man wore an identification disc on a cord about his neck. It was stamped with his name, regimental number, regiment, and religion. A first-aid field dressing, consisting of an antiseptic gauze pad and bandage and a small vial of iodine, sewn in the lining of his tunic, completed the equipment. Physically, the men were in the pink as tommy says they were clear-eyed vigorous alert and as hard as nails with their caps on they looked the well-trained soldiers which they were but with caps removed they resembled so many uniformed convicts less the prison pallor oversea haircuts were the last tonsorial cry and for several days previous to our departure the army hairdressers had been busily wielding the close-cutting clippers. Each of us had received a copy of Lord Kittinger's letter to the troops ordered abroad, a brief soldier-like statement of the standard of conduct which England expected of her fighting men. It was an effective appeal, and a constant reminder to the men of the glorious traditions of the British Army. In the months that followed, I had opportunity to learn how deep and lasting was the impression made upon them by Lord Kitchener's first, and, I believe his only, letter to his soldiers. The machinery for moving troops in England works without the slightest friction. The men transport horses, commissariat, medical stores, and supplies of a battalion are entrained in less than half an hour. Everything is timed to the minute. Battalion after battalion and train after train we moved out of Aldershot at half-hour intervals. 
each train arrived at the port of embarkation on schedule time and pulled up on the docks by the side of a troop transport great slate-colored liners taken out of the merchant service not a moment was lost the last man was aboard and the last wagon on the crane swinging up over the ship's side as the next train came in ship by ship we moved down the harbor in the twilight the boys crowding the rail on both sides taking their farewell look at england home it was the last farewell for many of them but there was no martial music no waving of flags no tearful goodbyes our farewell was as prosaic as our long period of training had been we were each one a very small part of a tremendous organization which works without any of the display considered so essential in the old days we left england without a cheer there was not so much as a wave of the hand from the wharf for there was no one on the wharf to wave with the exception of a few dock laborers and they had seen too many soldiers off to the front to be sentimental about it it was a tense moment for the men but trust tommy to relieve a tense situation as we steamed away from the slip we passed a barge loaded to the water's edge with coal tommy has a song pat to every occasion he enjoys above all things giving a ludicrous twist to a weepy ballad when we were within hailing distance of the coal barge he began one of this variety keep the home fires burning to those smutty-faced barge hands every one joined in heartily forgetting all about the solemnity of the leave-taking tommy is a prosaic chap this was never more apparent to me than upon that pleasant evening in may when we said good-bye to england the lights of home were twinkling their farewells far in the distance every moment brought us nearer to the great adventure we were off to the wars to take our places in the far-flung battlefields here was romance lavishly offering gifts dearest to the hearts of youth offering them to clerks tradesmen drapers assistants men who had never known an adventure more thrilling than a holiday excursion to the isle of man or a week of cycling in kent and they accepted them with all the solidity native to the englishman the eyes of the world were upon them they had become the knights-errant of every schoolgirl they were figures of heroic proportions to everyone but themselves there was however one burst of enthusiasm as we started on our journey which struck me as being spontaneous and splendid and thoroughly english outside the harbor we were met by our guardians a fleet of destroyers which was to give us safe convoy across the channel the moment they saw them the men broke forth into prolonged cheering and there were glad shouts of there they are me lads there's some o the little old watchdog what's keepin em bottled up good old navy that's where we got em by the throat let's give em sons of the sea and they did they sang with a spirit of exaltation which englishmen rarely betray and which convinced me how nearly the sea and england's position as mistress of the seas touched the englishmen's heart of hearts sons of the sea all british born sailing the ocean laughing foes to scorn they may build their ships my lad and think they know the game but they can't beat the boys of the bulldog breed who made old england's name
it was a confession of faith on the sea england can't be beaten tommy believes that with his whole soul and on this occasion he sang with all the warmth of religious conviction our channel voyage was uneventful each transport was guarded by two destroyers one on either side the three vessels keeping abreast and about fifty yards apart during the entire journey the submarine menace was then at its height and we were prepared for an emergency the boats were swung ready for immediate launching and all of the men were provided with life preservers but england had been transporting troops and supplies to the firing line for so many months without accident that none of us were at all concerned about the possibility of danger furthermore the men were too busy studying tommy atkins's french manual to think about submarines they were putting the final polish on their accent in preparation for tomorrow's landing the following day we crowded into the typical french army troop train and started on a leisurely journey to the firing line we travelled all day at eight or ten miles an hour through normandy we passed through pleasant towns and villages lying silent in the afternoon sunshine and seemingly almost deserted and through the open country fragrant with the scent of apple blossoms now and then children waved to us from a cottage window and in the field old men and women and girls leaned silently on their hoes or their rakes and watched us pass occasionally an old reservist guarding the railway line would lift his cap and shout vive l'angleterre but more often he would lean on his rifle and smile nodding his head courteously but silently to our salutations tommy for all his stolid dogged cheeriness sensed the tragedy of france it was a land swept bare of all its fine young manhood there was no pleasant stir and bustle of civilian life those who were left went about their work silently and joylessly when we asked of the men we received always the same quiet courteous reply a la guerre monsieur the boys soon learned the meaning of the phrase a la guerre it became a war cry a slogan it was shouted back and forth from car to car and from train to train you can imagine how eager we all were how we strained our ears whenever the train stopped for the sound of the guns but not until the following morning when we reached the little village at the end of our railway journey did we hear them a low muttering like the sound of thunder beyond the horizon how we cheered at the first faint sound which was to become so deafening so terrible to us later it was music to us then for we were like the others who had gone that way we knew nothing of war we thought it must be something adventurous and fine something to make the blood leap and the heart sing we marched through the village and down the poplar-lined road surprised almost disappointed to see the neat well-kept houses and the pleasant level fields green with the spring crops we had expected that everything would be in ruins at this stage of the journey however we were still some twenty-five miles from the firing line during all the journey from the coast we have seen on every side evidences of that wonderfully organized branch of the british military system the army service corps from the village at which we detrained everything was english long lines of motor transport lorries were parked along the sides of the roads there were great ammunition bases commissariat supply depots 
motor repair shops wheelwright and blacksmith shops where one saw none but the khaki-clad soldiers engaged in all the non-combatant business essential to the maintenance of large armies there were long lines of transport wagons loaded with supplies traveling field kitchens with chimneys smoking and kettles steaming as they bumped over the cobbled roads water carts red cross carts motor ambulances batteries of artillery london omnibuses painted slate gray filled with troops seemingly endless columns of infantry on foot all moving with us along parallel roads toward the firing line and most of these troops and supply columns belonged to my own division one small cog in the british fighting machine we advanced toward the war zone in easy stages it was intensely hot and the rough cobbled roads greatly increased the difficulty of the marching in england we had frequently tramped from fifteen to twenty-five miles in a day without fatigue but the roads were excellent and the climate moist and cool upon our first day's march in france a journey of only nine miles scores of men were overcome by the heat and several died the suffering of the men was so great in fact that a halt was made earlier than had been planned and we bivouacked for the night in the fields life with a battalion on the march proceeds with the same orderly routine as when in the barracks every man has his own particular employment within a few moments the level pasture land was converted into a busy community of a thousand inhabitants we made serviceable little dwellings by lacing together two or three waterproof ground sheets and erecting them on sticks or tying them to the wires of the fences the sick were cared for and justice dispensed with the same thoroughness as in england the day's offenders against discipline were punished with what seemed to us unusual severity but we were now on active service and offences which were trivial in england were looked upon for this reason in the light of serious crimes daily we approached a little nearer to our goal sleeping at night in the open fields or in the lofts of great rambling farm buildings most of these places had been used for soldiers billets scores of times before the walls were covered with the names of men and regiments and there were many penciled suggestions as to the best place to go for a basin of cafe au lait as tommy called it every roadside cottage was in fact tommy's tavern the thrifty french peasant women kept open houses for soldiers they served us with delicious coffee and thick slices of french bread for the very reasonable sum of twopence they were always friendly and hospitable and the men in turn treated them with courteous and kindly respect tommy was a great favorite with the french children they climbed on his lap and rifled his pockets and they delighted him by talking in his own vernacular for they were quick to pick up english words and phrases they sang tipperary and rule britannia and god save the king so quaintly and prettily that the men kept them at it for hours at a time and so during a week of stifling heat we moved slowly forward the sound of the guns grew in intensity 
from a faint rumbling to a subdued roar, until one evening, sitting in the open windows of a stable loft, we saw the far-off lightnings of bursting shells and the trench rockets soaring skyward, and we heard bursts of rifle and machine-gun fire very faintly, like the sound of chestnuts popping in an oven. End of section 11. This recording is in the public domain.